Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Remnant by Reclaim 611. I'm Carrie Sherrado, and I am your host again today. So congratulations if you are on part three of our March mini podcasts. Um, so if you've gotten this far, you know that I had to split up, recognize a little because I just have too much to say about it. So uh, we are going to do part two of recognize. So when we left off last, we were talking about terminology um, regarding sex trafficking, things to say, maybe things not to say, and defining a couple things. But today I'm just going to, for this episode, um, I am going to just kind of jump into some of our red flags, um, physical and psychosocial. So first I want to share this quote with you guys. So this was from Emergency Physicians Monthly, and it says they're mal may lie, but their bodies speak of the abuse. So powerful. So here we go. So some red flags for sex trafficking. Um, we need to remember that any kind of scripted or inconsistent stories are red flags. This may be common if you've been trained in child abuse, you've been trained in domestic violence, very similar. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. If it doesn't add up and it doesn't make sense, then you should be questioning it. Um, if a person says that they have had a history of physical or sexual abuse, you need to be paying attention. Um, whether that's in their history or something verbalized to you, I would say that probably 99% of victims that I've identified um, in healthcare have had some history of se sexual abuse apart from being trafficked. So by a family member, a grandfather, something like that, that happened and then later trafficking um, was part of their story. So be aware of that. Okay, so you're new to towns. I don't know. This has actually happened to me personally with victims that I've encountered multiple times where they have said they are new to town. Now, when someone says they're new to town and you already have red flags about them and they met other criteria or things just don't seem to add up, you need to be asking, well, more questions, right? Like, what? why are you new to town? Where did you come from? Who are you staying with? What brought you here? So those kind of things will lead you to find whether you are more concerned or if they have really good answers to that. I will give you an example. One of the first victims I had in the emergency room, her new to town, she had really no idea how long she had been in Dallas. And that red flagged me a lot. She really wasn't even quite sure um, what city she was in. I almost had to prompt her um, and she was not on any drugs. Okay. So the fact that this kind of unraveled from basically saying that she hadn't been here very long and she wasn't really sure where she was going to go next and um, how long she had been here and kind of the local area. So please ask more questions, especially if they're being interstate trafficked. Those are like circuits within the states and they may be in one area for like 48 hours and then leave or from city to city. So it's very common that they can be kind of confused about where they are, not because they're on something, but literally they're being traveling back and forth and being interstate or inner city trafficked. Okay. So if someone cannot provide an emergency contact, this is important. Why can't you do that? You don't know anybody. You may want to ask questions, not in a judgmental way, but, but legitimately why, why do you not have anybody? Um, and are you okay? 
Um, no social network in general. Okay, cash pay. If you're in an environment where people are paying cash, that is something to red flag about. Um, anxiously refusing to be without their phones uh, or maybe even having multiple phones. I will say in my experience, I have definitely seen the anxiety without their phone. They may have it in their hands and be twirling it kind of around because if you think about it, that's another form of control that a trafficker has, right? Is their phone, whether they be answering their phone, texting the person, um, constantly knowing where they're at, what they're doing, when they're going to be done, things like that. Um, not in possession of their own ID. Now, maybe if you're out and about or you're going out for the night and someone's carrying your ID or your boyfriend or husband or something like that, maybe that's normal. But in these kind of situations, if someone does not hold their own ID, it's just a red flag. Okay. Um, so something to be aware of. I actually was working in the ER once and a really astute security guard noticed when someone was checking in that, um, the, the male with her had given the front desk the patient's ID. And then more than one thing was concerning about this scene, but they noticed it up front, red flagged the nurses in the back that they were concerned about this. And we got to unfold this and just had our radar up to ask more questions and make sure that this was, this person was safe. So really powerful thing, things to be aware of the small details, you guys is what we need to be paying attention to. Um, and if you are in healthcare and you may not be in charge of getting people's ID and you have enough red flags, you can go talk to registration, ask them, did this person have an ID with somebody else carrying their ID, find out their demographics, maybe even find out, did they have an emergency contact, things like this, because you're putting the pieces together. Okay, so moving on. A accompanied um, persons um, does not let the other people let them speak for themselves. Um, I said that weird. Okay, so if somebody, a third party is speaking for them and not allowing them to speak, that is also a red flag. Like that's just really annoying, overbearing person that won't let um, the, per the patient like talk. Um, or the person talk. So that is a red flag as well. Um, if they're just, if they're demonstrating any kind of controlling or dominating relationship, I think all of us have seen that at some level. Um, so just keep that in the back of your head. And then that very fearful and nervous. Now here's the kicker. I will say this, avoid eye contact. You will hear people talk about this. This is very, very real. I've seen this clinically so many times is that victim just does not look at you in the eyes. And sometimes we take that as like disrespect or for so many different reasons and it bothers us and we might just kind of blow it off or think that he or she is being disrespectful. But this is part of trauma. It may be very dangerous in their world to actually look you in the eyes. And so this is something to, I, I will say that Almost every victim that I of trafficking that I've encountered, um, at some level, at the very beginning, at least had a um, a, a decrease in avoided eye contact with me. That doesn't mean you don't hold their eye contact and give them that and that respect. But for them, um, they may not give that to you right away. Um, hostile behavior or really just not trusting healthcare personnel. Um, if you're in the medical field, um, honestly, I, I always say this when I when I do lectures is that there's no reason why they need to trust us, right? There's no reason why they should trust us. If their own mother or father or friend or boyfriend or somebody close to them was trafficking them, um, and those are the people who are supposed to love them the most, then why in the world would they trust us? So we have a very unique opportunity, a very important opportunity to build a rapport and to notice this and to ask more questions so that we can pick up on it and hopefully instill some kind of, um, 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 
conversation with them um, to maybe feel like they can let their guard down and tell us what they're going through. Okay, so some other red flags. So for healthcare professionals, I just want you to think about this and a constitutional level, most of the time victims, they may come in, well, not most of the time. I would say they could come in either very well-groomed, right? High escort services with the handbags, with um, the nails, with the hair, everything done, looking very, may look a little bit inappropriate for the situation, may look um, um, uh, like their clothing may not be necessarily appropriate for the situation or maybe a little risque, um, but otherwise they're well-groomed. There's also this polar opposite. Where, where basically the presentation could be completely homeless appearing. Um, and I say that because there was a victim that um, I was real, kind of put helped with their case. And this 20-something-year-old literally looked like you could flick dirt off of her hair, okay? Um, and when it came to her opening up, she actually said she had run away from her pimp and that she had been living behind a trash can for two days. And she was completely homeless appearing, completely dirty, um, and so this can be polar opposites. There's not one presentation. When you're thinking about GU, genital urinary, you're thinking about, I want you guys to think about those um, people that are coming in or you're seeing um, that have a high number of sexual partners who endorse having sexual transmitted diseases in the past. Maybe you can look at your EMRs and you can see how many times they've been seen for that. Untreated um, STIs, chronic urinary tract infections, retained any kind of retained um, foreign body, um, dermatology, I would say things like you're looking for tattoos, branding. These victims get branded just like cattle. Most common, very common uh, tattoos would be things like crowns, money bags, barcodes, things that say property of, daddy's girl. Those are all red flags to you. Should all be all red flags to ask more questions. Um, and the tattoo thing, maybe just get in the habit of asking about tattoos on a very normal, in a very normal way. Maybe this is interesting. Tell me more about this. Um, I definitely started asking more about tattoos and gotten so many interesting answers over the last couple of years. Some that would definitely unravel these stories. Um, when it comes to OB, history of abortions, forced abortions, um, uh, is something that does need to be addressed or asked. When people say that they have had a, a history of abortions, we do need to ask if this was something, um, uh, if this was something of their choice or not, um, because a lot of times that will also open up into further discussions where they may be able to tell you a little more insight into their past or into their story. Um, I want you to think about substance abuse all the time when it comes to red flags, because as we know, this is so prevalent. Um, in human trafficking. So any history of substance abuse or active substance abuse. Um, and then I just want you to think about trauma, um, any part of the body, because this is part of this so much physical torture and trauma and trafficking so much of the time from headaches, from concussions, dizziness, broken teeth, eye problems, musculoskeletal problems, chronic pain problems, um, cigarette burns, unexplained injuries, um, abscesses from skin popping, um, skin infections, lice. Um, when you're thinking about drug use, you want to think about, well, if they present with bacterial endocarditis, if they have sepsis, if they have severe arrhythmias or heart problems, especially in people with that shouldn't, you know, younger, healthy people. Um, you're thinking about psychosomatic issues. Sleep disorders are so common, right? From stress, eating disorders are so common, PTSD. Um, 
GI problems, chronic nausea, um, vomiting, any kind of trauma. And then for your for your younger ones or your um, and infants, you're talking about those milestones. If you're seeing kids and they're like delayed milestones or their stated age doesn't match their presentation, um, physical and cognitive disabilities, things like that, just red flags to be aware of. So when we're talking about psychological red flags of trauma, we definitely need to think about Stockholm Syndrome, right? This is trauma bonds. Um, And trauma bonds, this is what is used, and those trauma bonds are really what actually help them survive their situation. And I, I want you to know, like, displace, displace a myth, if you have it, is that sometimes we think of Stockholm Syndrome or trauma bonds, that these things, this occurs over, like, a lengthy period of time, like weeks or months or years. But let me just tell you that this could happen in hours to days, depending on the acuity of trauma and that person. Um, you can develop Stockholm sy- Syndrome very, very quickly. Um, so PTSD is something to definitely be aware of when you are talking with people, especially in healthcare, or they have a history of this, suicide, self-harming, um, and any kind of hostility, memory loss, things like that. Um, I would say there's like the top five things in one of these studies um, that was done as the health consequences of sex trafficking on the annals of health law. Um, this study was done, and it was the top five were depression, well, first of all, that 98% of trafficking victims in the study said they had at least one psychological issue. That's almost 100%, okay? So depression, flashbacks, shame and guilt, PTSD, and attempted suicide were your top five things. When it comes to substance abuse, um, it it's like 84, 84% um, reported substance abuse while being trafficked. A couple of things for you healthcare professionals. I just want you to keep this in the back of your mind. Whenever you're dealing with um, a victim of possible trafficking, I want you to remember that um, as, as far as diagnostics, what kind of studies do we order? I always want you to think about your um, your STDs, your wet preps, your pap smears, your GC chlamydia, things like that. Also, make sure you're always in the back of your mind have SANE, um, offer a SANE exam, especially of minors. Um, this is definitely something that needs to be done um, in adults. Obviously, it's a little bit more of a choice, um, but something you should always offer, offer them if they would like. Um, as far as testing, we need to think about our HIV, we need syphilis, your tox screens, and make sure that we're getting pregnancy tests on patients that you think are high risk. All right, y'all. And then I would definitely tell you in my own practice, and I would hope that you could instill this in yours, is have a very low threshold to do any kind of imaging on these patients. If you see old bruising, things like that, um, and they're telling you, oh, I just bumped into the wall or whatever it is, if they have symptoms, I would go ahead and image, whether it is for a pelvic ultrasound, for concerning for infection, or a chest x-ray, or a CT of their head. Um, if you if, if things are not making sense and you're seeing signs of various stages of healing and trauma, I'd have a very low threshold to do some imaging because the story that you're getting from them is probably not 100% accurate. All right, those are my pearls to finish up 
um, recognize. So you made it through recognize on number three of your mini. So I'm really proud of you guys. Hang on there. I'm going to do one more for you on respond and report. And so hang tight. If you guys want to email me, you can email at support at reclaim611.org and always check out our email. I mean, our email, our website at www.reclaim611.org. All right. See you in podcast mini four.